Welcome to Careers in Discovery, your window into the world of leaders in pharma and biotech. Brought to you by Singular Talent, making hiring better for organizations involved in drug discovery and R&D. Claire Jones is the Chief Scientific Officer of Talisman Therapeutics, a biotech company committed to revolutionizing the discovery of disease-modifying treatments for neurodegenerative diseases using stem cell technologies. Claire talked with us about her career in biotech, taking jobs where you both bring something and learn something, and the importance of clear, ongoing communication. This week on Careers in Discovery, I'm delighted to be joined by Claire Jones of Talisman Therapeutics. Claire, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. It's great to be here. Great to have you. Um, so Claire, I always like to talk a little bit at the beginning about what you're up to now. Um, and at Talisman, you're doing some very, very interesting work in neurodegeneration. Um, tell us a bit about that. Tell us what you're up to. Yep. So uh, Talisman's a small company based in Cambridge at the Babram campus in the UK. Um, we span out of Rick Livesey's lab at the University of Cambridge in 2013. And we're really focused on using stem cell models of neurological disease to help mm -hmm. companies um, explore their, their questions relating to drug discovery. Um, so we particularly like working with um, patient-derived IPS that we can turn into neurons, microglia, um, and astrocytes and different cell types that are involved in neurological disease. Because if you look at patient-derived um, cells, particularly those from patients with genetic forms of disease, they actually show cellular dysfunction, right. um, even at that early stage, that is also seen all the way through to post-mortem brain. So they're a really cool system to allow us to study in human cells mm. the, the really early things that are going wrong in cells. And obviously, our hope is that that can provide insights into the pathological processes that then ultimately lead to Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, Huntington's, all of these um, neurodegenerative diseases. And we yes. can use, use these model systems um, to test new medicines potentially or look at what's going on mechanistically. Yeah, I see. And so hopefully start to start to diagnose some of these early, catch them before they cause real damage, which is part of the problem, right, is they get caught very late. Yeah, so it's actually it's more testing new medicines and looking at new sure. targets. So it's new new kind of ways um, of uh, of tackling the disease at an early stage. But yeah, absolutely, it's trying to um, to hit the the kind of early cellular mm. disease. And am I right? This this may be out of date, so correct me if I'm wrong on this. But am I right in thinking there's a particular focus on dementia? So that's where it all started. Yeah. Okay. So we started with um, the the cortical neuronal models that were developed in the academic lab. Um, we're now also looking at Parkinson's um, and and a whole range of other diseases. So there's a lot of interest in lysosomal storage diseases. Um, kind of the rarer diseases are attracting a lot of attention um, as well. And looking at the overlapping biology and kind of where where are there parallels between the different um, neurological diseases and where do you need really specific therapies? So, yeah, it mm -hmm. started with dementia and now we're kind of expanding out. Yes, I see. I see. And I suppose I always find neurodegeneration and therapies for it fascinating because it's clearly an area of need and, and a area of quite unmet need in many cases but it's just so complicated that it's hard to treat these conditions right so is is the sort of 
do you see the field making progress is there been you know is that clearly you guys feel you are but um in general are we are we starting to break down some of the complexities around these diseases yeah i mean you're absolutely right it's really complicated mm. so that's a good good starting point but we like a challenge yes um i think the there's lots of really interesting data coming out now and there's an increased understanding partly coming from the um these stem cell models mm. that we and many other groups are using that allow us to really explore what's going on in the genetic forms of disease now yes. obviously there's also sporadic um, forms of disease but i think that um com combined with the clinical trials that are ongoing so obviously there's very high profile um anti-amyloid um antibodies that have been going through you know with mm with varying levels of success there's also tau antibodies coming through and i think you know with with the focus on the clinical studies as well actually that even the failures are also informing um you know what what are the approaches that have worked yes where are there kind of glimmers of things which do look like they're they're having an impact um there's lots more to do but i think there's some really interesting work going on at the moment so i'm you know i'm optimistic and i think we and others are, are really trying to develop models that will help support next generations of of therapies that are coming through yeah absolutely and it's a good point i suppose you know although the failures can be disappointing they're also instructive right and sometimes more so than than successes i guess yeah, I mean, it's all. I guess we're all about. You, know, you ask a question solidly, and then you get an answer, and then you deal with that answer. So mm -hmm. I think, so long as the it's a clear no, actually a clear no, you hope to have that answer before phase three, obviously, because that's quite yeah. an expensive way to to fail. Yes. But um, yeah, certainly you can learn a lot from a clear no, that you can yeah. then inform the way you're going to approach your next uh, next project. No, absolutely. And and your position at the company is as Chief Scientific Officer, Claire, and there, there are always different sort of uh, uh, shapes that that role takes in different companies. So tell us a bit about what you spend most of your time on and, and how your how your day looks. So I don't know if I have a typical day because we're a small company. <laughs> and so if you ask anybody in a small company, of course. it's quite varied. So it ranges from bringing the milk in in the morning um, through to um, discussing new projects. So we do a, I'm involved in a lot of the the early project discussions, and um, so we have a, a really really good scientific liaison um, called Martin, who I work very closely with. Um, with the initial conversations, kind of introducing our capabilities, and and obviously that you know our capabilities will, won't be a match for everybody, mm -hmm. but very often we find that people are excited by what we can do, and um, we'll then take them through uh, more details about how we might be able to help them answer questions. So I spend a lot of time. Um, helping to develop those proposals and then costing them up. Also, sort of aside from looking for new new projects, it's um, having oversight of our existing work. Yes. So um, I have a, a great team of scientists that I work with who will be managing um, on a, a sort of day-to-day -day level all of the work that we're doing. Um, so I get to kind of check in that, <laughs> that everything's working okay, help troubleshoot if things are um, are looking tricky, hopefully also share in the celebrations when, when things are looking good. Um, also line management, so mm -hmm. you know, trying to make sure that, that the team are happy and that, that as a group we have everything that we need. Future planning, you know, where do we go next? We're looking to expand, so we have recruitment ongoing. Mm -hmm. um, 
we're looking to expand in terms of space as well so i'm looking at that which um, i understand isn't easy at the moment it's <laughs> not <yeah>, no. <laughs> fingers crossed it's looking quite positive that good. we're going to get a little bit more space good but yeah no it's it's really varied and it's kind of uh having oversight of of all of the work that is currently ongoing with with also an eye on where should we be going mm. where where do we need to go in the future you know the work that we do it's really important that we are at the forefront of of model development so we're constantly looking at what how do we build on what we can already do we yeah. don't want to sort of stand still there's still a lot more work that we can do and we try and learn from what's out there in the literature we can't do everything though so it's trying to um, partly predict what we think is going to be of interest to other people who we're speaking to and other potential partners but also from our perspective where do we believe mm. that the next advances are going to come so it's a kind of mixture of sort of um, guesswork to an extent sure. personal personal interest as well because you know there are many different things that we can do and um, I think it it has to be life's too short to do a job that you're not enjoying so you know it's we focus a lot on our own sort of interests and where we mm. believe the field is going so it's yeah. good it's it's very varied there's no time to be bored no absolutely and, and I suppose you know there's a lot of scientists probably listening to this who see this as really the ideal role for them because uh you don't move too far away from the science, but you're still exposed to all the strategy and the business side of things and the commercial side of things, as you talked about, but you you stay connected to what's happening in the lab. Um, and it, it sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's I guess that's the advantage of being in a small company. <clears throat> but, <throat> you know, it's the, the quality of our work and the kind of cohesion of the team is is really important. So, yeah, it's important to me to be quite engaged with with what's going on. Yes, that's the exciting bit. Anyway, you know that's where I, where I started as well. No, absolutely. Well, that's a perfect link, actually, Claire, to take us back to talking about your career. So thank you very much. <laughs> um, so we do we do always like to talk about where things started from, and obviously, you know, early on you trained in pharmacology. Um, but going back even even before that, for you personally, why why science? Why pharmacology? Why drug discovery and development? Why why this career for you? So I don't. From when I was at school, I don't think it was necessarily obvious. Okay, that I would end up doing what I'm doing now. So I I was kind of an all rounder. I was I was okay at science, but I wasn't strongly sort of only science driven. Mm. I quite like writing. I really like languages as well. And I think I like to understand how things worked. So okay. that's why I like languages as well. I like to see patterns, um, see patterns between the different languages and where where did those languages evolve from. Um, I did do uh, some science at A-level mm. um, as well. And I had the opportunity to do work experience at Glaxo. At the time, Glaxo Group Research, so that, that dates me, um, <laughs> in where, um, because I grew up, in Hartford which is okay. just kind of next door so I did a week's work experience when I was in lower sixth so it's year 12 um the where and that's basically where I had my first experience of what a job in science would actually look like right um and I and I don't I think I'd really thought about it before but it was it seemed really cool I got um basically given to an industrial placement student for the week and and I I kind of shadowed him 
in his job. So he showed me around the labs. He took me around all the different aspects of, of the company, introduced me to loads of people, told me about he was doing neuroscience as a mm -hmm. degree course. Um, and I thought, oh, that sounds cool because I like to understand how things work. I'd love to know how the brain works. Mm. But that's that's kind of why I ended up doing neuroscience, because I thought um, I'd always been brought up to kind of follow what follow your interests. Yes. Basically. And I thought that sounds really interesting. I'd love to know how the brain works. So I actually went into doing neuroscience, which was my undergraduate degree, thinking yeah. I'd love to understand consciousness. It then took me not very long at all to realize that that's not that's not my strength. So I'm not <laughs> I I like to understand how things work and fit together, but in quite a reductionist way. And actually, if you want to understand consciousness, it's all about like kind of flow diagrams or certainly at that stage. Right. It was um and I found that very frustrating. And actually, where the the things that I found easier and were more naturally kind of fit my, the way I work was things like pharmacology mm. and um which which was a thankfully a, a big part of the course that I did yes um so so that's how I kind of came to pharmacology I did an industrial placement year um as part of my undergraduate which is something that had been recommended when I was on work experience so I think work experience is so important mm. but, um you know I was 16 17 when I did that work experience and I would say that's why I'm where I am now yeah okay interesting um but I was advised to do a placement um because then you can spend a year seeing whether you actually like doing the job mm -hmm. um so I spent a year in Paris which was good because that you know another advantage of science is that you, there's lots of opportunities to live in yes. different places so I got to to do some languages as well um spent a year working at Servier um in Paris mm -hmm. so not too shabby spend a year in Paris yeah it's not bad not bad learned a bit of French discovered that actually I really liked lab work which again mm. wasn't something that I'd I necessarily expected but it was very different to the lab practicals so I wasn't yes. so keen on lab practicals because you know what the answer is but when you're doing your own experiments I like mm, that okay yeah so and that's why I ended up doing a PhD um, yes so it kind of started from the work experience, got through to PhD in pharmacology because I'd kind of now cottoned on to the fact that I'm better with reductionist things rather than um, kind of big um, trying to figure out consciousness. Um, so then did PhD in Cambridge mm -hmm. in the Glaxo unit. Right. So, yes. And that was cool. So that doesn't exist anymore, which is a real shame because it was a, um, a Glaxo funded unit embedded in the University of Cambridge in the mm -hmm. pharmacology department. Um, so it's called the Glaxo Institute of Applied Pharmacology. I was um, a, just a normal PhD student, but my supervisor was um, Glaxo. Oh, okay, I see. Yeah. So it was a normal academic um, PhD, but with a structure from industry. Yeah. And, and that's that wasn't so common at the time. And I think no. it... It meant that it was broader. There was much um, greater focus on why are you doing these experiments? What is the the applicability? Mm -hmm. um, and also a lot of emphasis, I think, on trying to broad, get broadly trained PhD students. So at the time, right. it was more common to have, you know, you're an electrophysiologist, you just do that. Was we all, all of us in the unit had had access to a huge array of different techniques. Yes, which was I see. A, a brilliant 
sort of training ground. Mm. And lots of, uh, met loads of really good people um, who have come out of that group. Um, so really enjoyed my time there. It was mm-hmm. quite cellular. So I was doing iron channel pharmacology. Right, yeah. Um, then if I carry on kind of through my CV, went on postdoc um, in Marseille. Yes. So I was keen. As I said, I think one of the good things about a scientific career is that you you can have the opportunities, particularly early on, to work in lots of different places, mm. um, which I think is well, I was really keen on because I wanted to to experience different things. But yeah, I think it, absolutely. It does really help to kind of broaden your general awareness of different ways of working. Um, you get the chance to live in a different place. I mean, mm. south of I got to live in the south of France for two years, so that was cool. Met my husband there, so it was definitely worth going. Um, <laughs> polished my French a little bit. Yes. Um, it was an an academic. Um, postdoc but funded by um, GSK so it was GSK by that point and did you um, find from a from a sort of I suppose a scientific culture point of view or you mentioned sort of different ways of working or what have you were there were there sort of marked differences did you find working in France as opposed to the UK it's, it's kind of but actually I think that was maybe more because it was an academic unit okay compared to so I guess I'd come out of the the hybrid industry academic environment yeah. and then I had gone into it's a CNRS lab um so it was it it was quite different I don't mm. actually know how much of that was French versus English so much as um just the the different kind of type of work yeah um it I guess the the biggest challenge is fairly obviously language yeah of course of <laughs> so course. although I'd, I'd spent a year in Paris I then hadn't spoken French very long mm-hmm. and I went over to, to Paris with GCSE French which like was not a massively high level no so um I, I guess one of the big challenges was just trying to be patient with myself to to give myself a break to learn yes um, French I mean everyone was lovely to me and put up with my awful attempts <laughs> at French and, until obviously as long as you keep at it um I got to the point where it was okay and I could communicate with people yeah I think people appreciate the effort I always remember a friend of mine living in Switzerland uh, he was a British guy and he worked really hard to try and learn Swiss German which is more from what I understand more difficult than German German uh and he got to the point where he thought right I'm going to conduct this meeting in German and he did it for the first 10 minutes until one of his colleagues leaned over and said we should maybe carry on this meeting in English. <laughs> but they really appreciated the effort that he made to, to do I think it. I, I think I may have had similar things to that, actually. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I mean, you mentioned it there. I always recommend to people, especially if they're early in their career, go and work somewhere else because it does give you a, a sort of, I suppose it challenges some of the things that you take for granted, right? Like there are different ways to live. There are different ways to work. There are different ways that people approach things. And it's it's helpful to open your mind like that. Yeah, definitely. I think it's always good to work with different people mm. and people who kind of come from different backgrounds, um, have different ways of working. You know, it's something that we we actively try and recruit for in Talisman um, to, to make sure that we're not recruiting clones of ourselves yes um and i think that it it sometimes can mean that there are challenges but 
for the most part, it's a really beneficial um, sort of team environment where, you know, we know that we have individuals in the team who are, are really excellent at just focusing in on the, the critical question. And then there are maybe others who are who are great at brainstorming and thinking mm. out of the box. And actually, if you can get all of those people together and harness that um, in, a, in as long as it's in a, a nice environment, Yes, um, I think that's that's the the way to crack some of the challenges that we're trying to deal with in terms of you know scientific complexity. Mm. No, it makes makes total sense. Uh, and so, postdoc in Marseille, and then decided that it was time to to move fully into industry. And yeah. and I guess you missed the weather as well. Uh, well, absolutely, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, like, how could I not come back to Loughborough? Yeah. Hey? <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, it was a two-year postdoc, so mm-hmm. my my intention had never been to to go into academia. Um, okay. I sort of once I'd I'd kind of decided that I liked research and um, understand it, kind of cracking problems or trying to crack um, problems. Uh, it was always very much with a view to doing something that's that had the chance of being tangibly beneficial. Mm. So you know ultimately I would like to get to the end of my career and look back and be able to go preferably see that drug on the market I had something to do yes, with that yes um you know failing that um you know that you see that that drug or that um those molecules you know I was involved in something which helped um, mm-hmm. form those decisions you know I I guess that's that's kind of the aim of many of us who are working in drug discovery. Absolutely. Um, so, so I was never going to stay in academia. When I finished my um, postdoc, uh, was I kind of looked around at what was available, saw um, a job advert for um, AstraZeneca in Loughborough. I actually knew a few people who were already there, so I mm. kind of exchanged a few messages with them. They were looking for an iron channel pharmacologist, um, who preferably somebody who had he wasn't a pure electrophysiologist, but right. I had something yeah. a bit broader. So that kind of fitted my background really nicely. Um, mm-hmm. I applied, I got the job, so that was all really good, and joined the team um, in biology in the biology team. So that was basically working on projects from target identification all the way through, or supporting projects all the way through lead optimization. Yes, I see. Um, and that's where I learned about how a big drug company works mm. fits together um, and also about the drug discovery process so that's kind of um quite fundamental to, to how I've spent the rest of my career yes um I think I was also given um some really looking back really amazing opportunities from a very early stage so given that I joined with two years postdoc um, I was given the opportunity to lead the um, the iron channel work that was okay. going on in respiratory and inflammation. So it was an area that they were keen to, their department was keen to try and expand. Um, but at that point, it wasn't so common to look at iron channels in that context. It was mm-hmm. more more in neuroscience. So I should say I was in having a neuroscience background. I was in respiratory and inflammation, which seems slightly random, but this this crops up again. Right. And it was because of the iron channel background. So I was basically able to use my um, iron channel knowledge to and apply that to the disease um, disease systems that I was asked to apply it to. So I worked on chronic obstructive pulmonary, pulmonary disorder um, or disease, um, COPD and osteoarthritis mm-hmm. mainly. Um, so I think I 
I learned, apart from meeting lots of people, everywhere I've worked, I've met lots of really amazing people who I've yes. tried to keep in contact with. But I kind of learned um, and found out the importance of meeting lots of people and kind of understand it. I like to understand how that, how companies fit together and who does what so that I know who to go to if I wanted something done. And it works both ways because people would then come to me if they wanted things done. Yeah. But I think that's one thing that, um, that I quite liked from large companies because there's pros and cons to large and small companies and one thing I quite liked in a large company was that as long as you know who to go to actually there's huge number amounts of things that you can get done yeah. you can find answers to things really quickly so I think I I started understanding the importance of developing a bit of a network mm-hmm. particularly kind of on peer network so it's, this isn't necessarily um, schmoozing with all of the heads of the department no um Although, I mean, it's, there's no harm in making sure they know who you are. Um, but, but just understanding who are the people who are actually getting things done and who mm. can actually help you. And I think that's something that, you know, I've taken forward as well. Not not deliberately, but actually looking back, I think that's, mm. that's something that, that is quite has been quite useful. Yes, you don't always have to go right the way up to come back down to get things done, right? You can you can often go direct to the source if you want yeah, I mean, I have had it. my wrist slapped for trying to go too direct to <laughs> the source as well, so it doesn't always work. But <laughs> which potentially informs your interest in biotech and small potentially, <laughs> yes, exactly. I did say there were pros and cons. Yes, yeah. So you were with AstraZeneca for four years, something four like that. Four years, yeah. yeah. Um, and then then a bit of a change for you. Yeah. So it um, on paper probably looks quite a big change. Um, Actually, it was I was looking to move down south mm-hmm. um, for um, largely for personal reasons, so to be closer to my partner. Um, and my old PhD supervisor rang me up out of the blue and asked whether or not um, I could still remember how to to use an automated EFIS device or something like that. <laughs> I was like, yes, I can. Um, he was looking. He just joined a company called Eurosolutions uh, as CEO, and they were looking for somebody to take over the um, the running of the automated EFIS capability. Um, so it it was actually it was quite a good fit for my background in the sense mm. that technically I could do that. Um, also, that I, I like a challenge. I mean, he'd worked with me before, so he kind of knew, you know, where what I was likely to be able to do. Um, and it, you know, it seemed like quite a good, a good challenge. It wasn't necessarily yes. something that I'd I'd considered doing previously, but location-wise, it worked. And I was looking for an excuse to move down south, so I was quite sad to leave AZ. Actually, I, you know, I was enjoying my time there, um, but from a personal perspective, it, mm-hmm. it made sense. So I moved down to the Cambridge area, um, and was at Neurosolutions for a couple of years, where I would do three days a week, um, actually running the experiments. Two days. I was a bit of a one-man band, one-woman okay. band. Um, two days a week um, doing business development and kind of all of the paperwork okay. to do with the, the proposals. So mm. um, I was running Herg screening, so safety pharmacology. It's kind of different, but it's, a, it's an iron channel. Um, so I was going out and um, kind of trying to get new business and working with a, a BD consultant to try and build the, the automated EFIS screening side of the business. The mm. rest of the company was in Coventry. So Neurosolutions as a company um, offers um, services in 
high-end electrophysiology. So it's the complex either in vivo or really complex in vitro biology systems. Okay, yeah, I see. And all of those guys were based in Coventry. Um, and I was kind of an outpost in Cambridge, but actually co-located with um, the CEO, just because that's how it worked. Um, so I think in while I was at Neurosolutions, it was really varied in the it sense that I was like kind it, of yeah. covering BD, um, a bit of accounts, a bit of the admin, um, all of the stock checks and everything, and also running the experiments. How um, did you find that? Because that was quite different for you. Yeah, I think the hardest thing actually was being largely on my own. Right, yeah. So I much prefer working as part of a team. Um, I was co-located with um, Zentian, who actually is a company that a biotech company that doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't I wasn't completely um, kind of flying solo. Um, but I think that was the hardest thing. I actually really enjoyed the <coughs> mix of um, kind of more customer facing work and yeah. in going out and introducing, you know, what could we do and discussing new proposals. This is obviously quite reminiscent of the role that I now have as well. <laughs> Um, and I quite like the variety of right. um, running the experiments and also the freedom. You know, I could kind of do what I what I wanted when, so long as I got everything um, sorted and mm. working okay. So I enjoyed that. Um, towards probably about a year in, um, I outsourced myself to Zentian. So because I had the flexibility to do kind of like, as long as I was bringing money into the company. Yeah. Um, so I would do HERG screening for um, Neurosolutions three days a week and then um, two days a week. I would work on the rigs uh, in Zentian's labs, but mm -hmm. kind of kind of as a contractor, basically. Um, and then Neurosolutions decided that they um, they were they kind of reviewed how what their footprint was going to be. And they decided that it was too expensive to keep the Cambridge site i.e. Right, me I yeah. going um <laughs> so they decided to shut down the the q patch um, and the cambridge site um offered me the opportunity to go back to commentary but given that the main reason i'd taken the job was to be in cambridge that didn't really yes, work for me sure but thankfully on that same day the guys at zentian offered me a full-time job ah, okay um, to kind of do full-time what i had contracted myself out to do um, but also taking on some more of the um, the automated EFIS um, kind of coordination and management of how that was working. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they they really helped me out and supported me. And actually, I think you see that a lot around the small companies around Cambridge that that people will will really try and help out. Yeah. Help each other out if somebody does find themselves being made redundant. Um, I think everyone's been through it, haven't they? It, yeah, so I I very much appreciated them kind of bailing me out effectively <laughs> so quickly. Yes. Um, and yeah, so I was with them for a, a short period and then joined Medimune, um, which actually again was working back with my my old PhD supervisor. Okay. Um, that's not the only reason for me joining them. No, but, no. Um, <laughs> but it's a small world, isn't it? It's a it small is. World, it is it? a small world. So yeah. I, I then joined um, Medimmune um, because they they had a, a job opening that looked really interesting. Yeah. Um, so I mean that's that's basically been the way I have chosen um, different roles and or chosen to apply for different roles has been based on 
um, looking for something that seems interesting where mm. I think there's enough from my background that would allow me to do a good job in the role but also a lot that I could learn yeah so so for that role it was working in large molecule drug discovery so I'd, I'd not worked in, mm-hmm. in antibody drug discovery before so that was all new um but but the core of um the sort of pharmacology background and they were looking for an iron channel pharmacologist uh, yes. specifically actually fit really well with my background um and particularly they wanted somebody who could do electrophysiology but not just electrophysiology yeah okay so so i went into medimmune um as a, a kind of project leader um and team leader and that must have been a really interesting time to be part of that team as well because um obviously they they're still doing very interesting things as part of astrazeneca but i suppose thinking about the timing of that they're probably at the peak of their sort of growth, right? As in move, growing very rapidly, being very successful with the the, the molecules they were developing. Um, it must have been an exciting time to be around that. It was. And, it, you know, Medimmune was a brilliant place to mm. work. I, I've met, I just keep saying that I've met loads of really good people. I've been really <laughs> lucky. I think I've worked with some brilliant people. Um, and it was just a really nice environment with really genuinely very smart people who just mm. wanted to crack on and and you know make a difference and you know really collaborative um right. really good interactions between the different groups so i was split between neuroscience and then also ended up back in respiratory and inflammation again um so yeah it was a really exciting time to be in the company mm. and um i i learned loads about both sort of the the actual antibody drug discovery but also you know this how to how to move molecules forward and how to manage a team um within that kind of organization how to work more in a matrix organization as well so mm. i've done that i had experience of that from astrazeneca um but from a more junior position so it was it was great to have the opportunity to be um in more of a leadership role um as so i was leading the multiple sclerosis work um, yes at, i see um at medimmune um and so worked really closely with the, the guys in gaithersburg as well as um people in in cambridge and a mix of neuroscience and um mm. immunologists as well so i think that i've i've really enjoyed the the projects i've worked on where you have neuroscientists and immunologists because they're there's very they're very different ways of right um of working because like neurons stay still <laughs> they still <laughs> bodies stay in the same place um and then they communicate um largely from a static position might yeah. quickly move around whereas the immune cells are constantly whizzing around and i think even just that difference between the two systems means that immunologists and neuroscientists just think about things in a really different way <laughs> And so it's actually it's been really nice to to think about the world more from an immunologist's point of view. Yeah, I see. For, for them, it's really I think important to to understand where things are happening, and, and you know that's also true in neuroscience. We maybe yes. don't consider it enough. I thought you were going to say for a second that you noticed that immunologists were always moving around. <laughs> and then... oh, probably they may be running away. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, so I appreciate we're fast forwarding a little bit here, but um, tell us about how you how you found your way to Talisman. So um, I was approached by the chairman of um, Talisman, who's a guy called Mark Trahan, 
who I had worked with at um, Neurosolutions and mm -hmm. Zentian, or kind of knew him through Neurosolutions and Zentian. Um, he he was and still is the chairman of Talisman. And at that point, they were looking for a head of research. Um, and so he'd been tasked with kind of looking through his network to see who might be uh, interested and, and a potential candidate. So I met him for, for lunch. Uh, he asked me what I'd been up to since he last saw me. I ran through what I'd been doing, kind of a bit of MS, a bit, um, bit of pain biology. Um, and he introduced Talisman as a company to mm -hmm. me asked whether I'd be interested in learning more because said outlined the role that they were looking to recruit for so I I thought that sounds cool um at at um, Medimmune so I'd been doing a lot of um model development or right. my group had um, a lot of the work that we'd been doing was trying to generate systems but all rodent systems that would allow us to test the new new therapeutics that were being developed I see. okay and it was a continual source of frustration that we we could only use rodent systems. So there are more options available now. Um, but at that point, although there were protocols out there for generating stem cell derived neurons, it's they're they're quite involved. And mm. even now, I think it's not really feasible to just embark on it on a whim. You know, you really need to be thinking about um, building a whole team. Um, with a starting point of a couple of people who really know what they're doing. Yes. You know, and that's that's where Talisman comes in. So I thought, well, the idea of having all of our work, like if I joined Talisman, all of the work would be in human, really translationally relevant, patient-derived systems. That would be cool. Mm. So, I mean, that's kind of what sucked me in initially. So, and going back to this, you know, looking for a role where there's things that I can bring, but things that I can learn. You know, I joined Talisman with, really without any knowledge of stem cell systems. Right. Yes. You know, beyond you know, having had a bit of a look, I also hadn't done a huge amount of work in um, Alzheimer's, um, but you know, felt that I could bring um, some of the drug discovery experience mm -hmm. and and approaches. You know, it's it's how do you approach setting up a model? What questions do, are we trying to ask? Um, so I met the team, um, chatted to everybody thought that the work that talisman were doing was really exciting um they obviously thought that i could help them because they offered me the job I yes <laughs> i joined there you go there you go and it's it's sounds like it's been a really interesting ride since then um and, and so looking back on all of that claire you you you've probably touched on some of this already or you've almost certainly touched on some of this already but if if you were to pick out maybe two or three things that you feel you've learned along the way from a career point of view that I guess you'd you'd share with people, or if you was if you met yourself starting again that you wish you'd known back then, um, what would have been those career lessons for you? Do you think? Um, I think one of the big ones is that I've always learned the most when things were the most difficult. Okay. Yeah. And so, and I try and remind myself of that when you're in the middle of something which feels really difficult, um, because looking back that those are the times when it's scientifically and and personally I think I've learned the most and actually they're kind of the most satisfying when you do actually sort of resolve the issues yes um they also try and maintain communication in in the good times and when things are going I'm going to focus <laughs> lots on things going wrong obviously lots of things do go right of course but trying to um make sure that you keep communicating with people because I think often um when things go wrong or if there are issues 
um, it, it's actually because people feel that they're out of the loop and don't know what's going on. Yeah. So trying to make sure that everything, good and bad, is clearly communicated. And, and that kind of goes from all the way from feedback. So we try and give feedback to people um, as immediately as possible, both mm. good and not bad feedback, but kind of good and constructive feedback um, and keeping people updated. So, so focus on um, communication. Um, uh, yeah, and I think, sorry, sorry go ahead. Go I was going to say, just picking up on that, I suppose, you know, whether it's, whether it's investors or whether it's sort of the leadership team or whether it's collaborators or partners or whatever, I, I imagine you find as well that as soon as you start to start to share the challenges, then they start trying to help, right? Exactly. I mean, we're we're all in it together. You know, mm. there's not a kind of them and us. So it's just trying to be open. That doesn't mean communicating everything. No. You know, it's not like, <laughs> oh no, I dropped a pipette on the floor. It's sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. Although, I mean, we do need people to tell us if the pipette's been dropped on the floor. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's kind of just making sure that there's enough communication so that people at say our collaborators understand what's going on you know mm -hmm. if there are ever delays it's communicating that you know what is going when are, when should they expect to hear from us right yes you know, what has happened it's not that we've just gone radio silence and they're ghosting people you know that's not really on that no, no. um and uh, you know if i met myself going to your question um i think the big one i would say is just Try not to overthink things and try not to worry too much because like mm. you can you can only do your best. So if you go into the situation trying to do your best, then if you make mistakes, you know it's not the end of the world. Try not to make a mistake more than once. Sure. But you know, yeah. people will make mistakes. And it's it's just to try and try and do your best, but but don't beat yourself up about it if if things go wrong. Because I think, you know, I and many others um sometimes you know dwell on the things that haven't worked when actually right. it's not necessary things things go wrong life goes on yeah and and like you said you have to you have to have things go wrong to learn from them i think people tend not to learn as much when things are going well because typically you sort of can get away with cutting a few corners if the majority of it's going all right so it's it's when things fall apart that you start to realize okay well maybe this would have been done better this way or maybe I should have looked at this or yeah absolutely so, yeah it's you know I think you, you often see that the most successful people are the ones who've had the most things go wrong but they've just kept going <laughs> yeah yeah no I mean you've just got to stick at it it's... yeah yeah absolutely and you mentioned coming back to Talisman you mentioned that it's an exciting time that there's there's lots of Lots of st exciting stuff on the agenda. What's next? What's What does 2023 look like for you? So we've got some really exciting projects um, lined up, which I obviously can't, can't tell you about, <laughs> um, but we're really keen to get started on them. Um, we're recruiting. Um, so we have a project leader position and cell culture scientist position that's live at the moment. Um, and we'll likely be recruiting again next year. So we're mm -hmm. trying to um, gradually expand the team. We're looking to take on a little bit more space um we're generating new models doing a bit more bd so it's it's kind of more of the same only better yes okay well so, it sounds really interesting best of luck with it thank um, you i'm assuming that if people fit those descriptions then they should look at where to find you indeed on our website yes would be great <laughs> thank you very much claire thank you tom 
Thanks for joining us on Careers in Discovery. And don't forget to subscribe for more insight into the world of drug discovery and R&D. Do take a look at our sponsors, Singular Talent, and their mission to make hiring better for companies and individuals in drug discovery and R&D. You can find them at www.singulartalent.io. See you next time.